Auto Line This Week is underwritten in part by... In this epic battle of fuel efficiency and endurance, we're here to see which hybrid has the best MPG. That's the essence of a hybrid soul. But is there more to it? The Hybrid Game MPG Challenge. And now, here is your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week, where the discussion is going to be all about car design. Or is it car, car styling? I think we'll get into the differentiation on those two. Joining me are three experts in this field, starting with Jim Hall from 2953 Analytics, John Manoogian, a former GM designer. He's got his own company called Forza Blitz, and he also teaches at the Center for or the College for Creative Studies, Thank they've you. changed their name, a design school here in Detroit. And Dave Lyon, also formerly of GN Design, but now a partner at the company Pocket Square. Great having you all here on AutoLine this week. Great Let's get the there. conversation Thanks going. Dave, I'm going I'm to start with you. Design seems to be taking on more and more importance. Always has been important. But as we see quality sort of get to be similar across the board, fuel economy within each segment, they're all within a mile or two per gallon of each other. Am I reading this right? Design's more important than ever. No, it, it is. I mean, there's, there's data that supports that. But I think that um, what you really notice when you see a breakout car now, you don't, I guess we look at that and say, well, they, the designers got their way, right? And that um, you can go to really any of the car companies, and it's a lot of the same designers graduated out of the same school, right? Art Center, uh, College for Creative Studies, that's where I went. Um, there's a lot of talent out there. And the, th the thing that really separates out the great cars now from the ones that are maybe mediocre, I don't think it's the design talent anymore. It's the companies putting more emphasis on design and listening to designers more and kind of letting them set the vision for the vehicle. It's, it's understanding how, that you have to prioritize sometimes for design yeah. when you're doing the car, that this is gonna have to be the priority here, and it doesn't make any difference if the car is 10 bucks more expensive, we have to do this, and the company letting that happen. Because there's a time where you cost-controlled everything and you got nothing. Yeah, it, well, and design has become part of the business strategy. I think of, of a lot of companies, Apple sort of set that tone where design became one of the most important elements of the company. The car companies are suddenly coming to the realization that we need to get on board. See, I always thought with, the, I, you just uh, described uh, to me GM in the '60s. Well, <laughs> it kind of came and went. Okay, you know? yeah, that's what you're all saying is now it's management's mindset has yes. changed. When what's changed their minds? Sales. Yeah, sales. I, I think is another thing too. In addition to sales, that that even the most analytical uh, bean counter there realizes that if all these cars are the same, there has to be something that'll make him different. And he knows that if you design a car a certain way, you pay for that once to design it. But if you have to do it with advertising, you have to do it every quarter over and over and over again. And he sees those bills. And they learned that lesson the hard way back in the 80s when GM had the look-alike cars and everyone said, you know what, that just doesn't work. People see that. 
which they but, see that. But what, what you're saying now, I mean, it's really easy if we were talking about you know a, a Camaro or a Ferrari or something where clearly somebody's buying it for styling. Right. But what you're seeing now in the marketplace is some companies are kind of saying, are looking at the commodities that are left, right? Mid-sized cars, eh, it's Sedans. a mid-sized car, it doesn't, you know, mid-sized family car. It's, it's low on the list yeah. until a really sexy one comes out. Because it and then it's high on the, and then it's even high if on the they're list. buying styling or not, they see the yeah. car and notice it. So and I think that's where Hyundai is. Segment. Yeah, the, right. Some of these companies, like Hyundai, will decide, you know, we're just going to, we're just going to style everything. Right. Doesn't matter. This maybe overstyled, but we're going to do that. We, we could argue about that whether <laughs> yeah. it's overstyled or not. And I, I would even point out to, to Kia having gone through yes. a greater transformation oh. right. than Hyundai, and of course they stole one of Audi's Peter great Schreier, designers, yeah. Peter Schreier. They liked so much of what he did with Kia, they put him in charge of Hyundai, and they made him one of three presidents in the company, the first non-Korean ever to get there. And that speaks to design being so important for the strategy of the company. It's interesting because in some ways it's very much a Confucian philosophy business, not confusion, but Confucian. <laughs> and there's a tendency for these businesses, when something's successful, it's the don't mess with it thing. Now, the, the Sonata has been successful. Yeah. And I would not be surprised to see the next Sonata evolutionary rather than moving the needle again. Mm -hmm. And that, I believe, will hurt them. Huh. Because what you try to do is companies say, we've got to duplicate our success. Well, the success of the Sonata was that it wasn't like anything else out there. Right. right. Yeah. So to duplicate that success now means they have to do that again, in my mind. But instead, it'll be, no, no, it's successful, don't ruin it. It's always tougher to do a sequel. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even the movie business yes. is well aware of that. Yes. Um, when you take a look at Toyota, for example, it used to brag that it sold a lot of plain vanilla. And, and sure enough, their cars looked very plain. But the latest cars coming out of the company, and trucks, not just cars, are are highly, highly styled. So even a company as successful as Toyota seems to be getting on the, the design or styling bandwagon. I think they all realize that that's what you have to do to get people's attention. No one walks in and says, give me the ugliest car you got, right? But Nobody some people don't but like they, an assertive design. But, right. You know. But you see, that's the issue. If you have a car that stands out in a segment that's heavily crowded, like midsize, what you're getting is a net present value that's the equivalent of marketing money. Because every time one goes by, whether you like it or not, you notice it. You notice it. Yeah. And the thing is, if you have the generic looking car and you have to use the commercial to say the new blast fire is out, then you're spending money to make people remember there's a new car and it can go by. And it's if the car isn't gray, they... You know, the, was there a car there? Saw a shadow or something. So yeah. there's this whole thing about design, whether it's good or bad, and that's a subjective thing, but, but polarizing design is notice design. Yeah. It's interesting because when the <clears throat> Aztec came out, around the same yeah, time the Aztec. I had to say the A word. I, I did, but around <laughs> the same time. It always comes up. It always comes up. <laughs> around, around the same time that the Aztec was introduced, Audi launched the TT. Yeah. And the statistical data on whether you liked it or not, you found that the TT was as polarizing as the Aztec was. It actually was. Hmm. But at the other end of the spectrum. Well, they were both polarizing. They're both equally polarizing. It was, do you love it or hate it? The only thing was that the percentage of people that loved the TT to the people that hated it was probably 50-50. Hmm. And with the Aztec, it was like, well, 10-90. So there weren't enough people. But, but the point is that, that highly polarizing designs are visible designs on the road. Hmm. And some things that I suspect, there have probably been cars that you considered polarizing and ugly, but they've been successful. Yes, probably. So, I mean. But, you know, I, I look at, uh, you know, Toyota, maybe one of the last to learn this lesson. You know, I look at the Corolla, for example. They, you know, they, they were king of the segment. Nobody could touch the Corolla. And one by one, every other player, and even what they would consider non-players, brought a high-style vehicle to the segment. And 
took their lunch money away. Well, and that's what the Model T was. And suddenly GM came on the scene and said, we're going to start designing our cars. And suddenly Henry Ford's going, I'm losing sales. <laughs> These guys at GM are actually designing their cars, and people actually respond to that. Okay, so what's the difference between design and style? First of all, when you say GM started designing their cars, what's the difference? Generally speaking, styling, there was a time in the, in the relatively recent history where styling was a dirty word. Yes. General Motors used to call that styling staff, the building. And if you walked in on the mat as you entered the building of the styling administration building, there was a big S in the mat for styling. Hmm. And then suddenly there was something where people thought styling was frivolous. You know, oh, it's just styling. Decorating it was, yeah, it's, it wasn't important. So it became design, which is much more mature. The Italians never stopped styling cars, shoes, uh, appliances. Styling is, the, is sort of the attitude of whatever you do, and it can either be good or bad. And there, there were Olivetti products that were highly styled and didn't work worth a damn, but they looked so good when they didn't work. But I have a little different take on that, because if, if you look at the history of styling and design, Previously, styling was something that you sort of added on after the engineers finished the car. Design, I believe, is when the engineers and the designers work together to do a beautiful car, but still meets all the engineering criteria, rather than having the engineers just give no. the car to the stylist and say, well, put a fancy-looking skin on this and we'll all go home. There's a big difference, huge and, and, difference. And you and I both had the opportunity to work both ways. Uh, yes, I did. And I'll tell you, the after it's all baked and you're just putting the icing on, <laughs> never again. The latter is always better than the former, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So how's the industry doing it these days? More collaborative between engineering and design? There is. I think that you see so many things coming along that, uh, that are really throwing engineering, like pedestrian protection and things like that, where they're very difficult technical issues to solve. They have a huge impact on styling. I mean, Pedestrian protection, probably more than anything else, the last uh, eight but to ten years. I was going to say easily a decade, because once it's yeah. started, and it's gone through the entire car front to back. Yes. Right. And so here's a new piece of legislation that engineering doesn't really quite understand. I mean, it's, it's, it's more art than science, even still, because um, there's testing, and, you know, well, we want to pass the test, so we're going to overcook this a little bit. And, you know, cows get raised up, you know, proportions Explain change on the car. a little bit. For the audience that doesn't understand, what do you mean pedestrian protection? You're not putting... Pillows on the hood of a car. That You're was doing, one early solution. Well, I, I, I <laughs> and hoods blew off. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it, but explain it, it a little bit, it, Dave. It's, it's it's very simple. That you know when you um, uh, if you were hit by a car, right? Um, at relatively low speed. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. These are relatively low speed. What would yes. seem like a survivable accident isn't because uh, not from hitting the hood, but hitting something under the hood, something immovable, or the base of the windshield. Right. Mm -hmm. Windshield wipers. So, yep. so basically, you know, the, um, the, the hood of the car really becomes a, a crash area as well. So there's crush space there's now. There's crush space. Basically, and it's, a, it's an extra three inches um, over above engine shock mounts, batteries, what have you. So you're saying that raised the whole front it's end of the car. The whole front up. Now, you want to you wanna drain all the color out of a designer's face. You say, you know, we're going to raise the hood uh, three inches on you. <laughs> uh, you know, well... You know, then the person goes up too, the roof goes up, suddenly the car looks too big for its wheels, we've got to make the wheels bigger. And i got to say that it has been probably the, one of the most difficult things for design and engineering to work collaboratively together. Because 
you know, because these guys are they're really just trying to solve this problem. And they're truly talking about hard points in this case that yeah. you can't, well, they're inviolable. And it also uh, is, it dictates right, yeah. the actual front fascia as well as the hood, because oh. if, if you recall when we were doing the CTS, we had to put additional pieces and parts so that when the car actually hits someone's ankle or, or leg, lower leg, it controls It's the like reaction. a cow catcher. Yes. It, it is their feet off the ground. Yeah. We don't call people that. No. But no. it is very much like that. <laughs> yes. The, the so interesting thing is Because that, nothing good happens under the car. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Nothing good happens. No. There. The legislation started out with just head injuries, literally. And then every year it went from <coughs> head to neck. And as, as the years have gone by, it goes down now to leg injuries. Le leg injuries. Sure. So, and, it, and you could see it was a progressive thing. Now, the Europeans, one interesting thing about it, they grandfather any vehicle when the regulation changes that was on sale before that period. So you have multiple levels on the road of cars that do and don't perform well. A friend of mine said, well, this must be real easy for companies like Porsche because they have no engine there, you know, in the 911. And that's true. But suddenly what you find people are hitting is the base of the windshield, which well, is a part of the height. The yeah. height also. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a Lamborghini, apparently, when they, they, they did a test with the Gallardo with the new criteria and Three guesses where the guy hit first. <laughs> so, John, going back, uh, since you teach at CCS right now, do you teach this collaborative approach, or how are you training new designers coming into the business? That's an interesting question, because most of the students that we deal with at school don't have any professional experience yet. So they come to school with the idea that they're going to style or they're going to draw cars Put the, the icing their on career. the cake, as it were. And, it, and I tell them, I say, you know, it's not going to be that way. What you're going to have to learn to do is to collaborate with the engineering organizations so that you and the engineers work together to develop the package and the architecture of the car. Once you do that, then you can develop the aesthetics of the car. So some of them sort of get that. Some of them don't. It takes a while. But we, we have to teach them early on before they go out as professionals to say, Here's how it's going to be in a real studio. You're going to have to work with engineers. You're going to have to work with marketing people, salespeople, blah, blah, blah. But the engineering community is going to be the most important in your dealings with them to get the kind of designs that you want. Otherwise, yeah. you're wasting your and, and most of the big companies now, they, they will have a studio dedicated just for yes. working early on the proportions of the vehicle. Architectural studios, yep. To meet, to meet all the all What do you mean, the, that, the, the, the proportional studies of the car? Right, you know, like, you know, uh, where the wheel's going to be placed, what overall diameter of uh, tire is going to be acceptable in the envelope. All these things make a huge difference. I mean, if you're not, if that stuff isn't right, I don't care how good you are. <laughs> you can't make it work. It's all about proportion. We have tried. It's all about proportion. Yes. If you're, you know, it's, uh, it's all about the mannequin you're hanging the clothes on, right? I mean, you need to start with something that's, you know, trim and svelte, and you can make a nice-looking suit. Real estate is location, kind of location, location. Design is proportion, proportion, proportion. It's all about getting the proportions right. And that's where the Aztecs sort of came off oh, the rails. But it had all these hard points from a van. I mean, plain I, and simply. But yeah, no yeah, one yeah. cares about that. Yeah, no yeah. one cares about how it got there. All they do is they see it and they go, whoa, what were those guys thinking? I See, I look at the Aztec and I'm really wondering, the first Aztec, I which still was the see festival them, yeah. of cladding, uh, <laughs> that was contrast. And I keep thinking, was there anything you could do with proportion that would make you like the car? <laughs> and I, I believe... Think, yeah, with yeah, some, other, than, other than making it about the height of a Lamborghini that did not, Mira. That did not involve some sort of press. Well, <laughs> yes, that just significantly reduces its height, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the Buick, the Buick was fine. The Rondé, uh, uh, the Aztec's uh, sister. Uh, I'm talking, I'm uh, talking. 
comparing the two. Oh, so that's like the doctor telling you, John, it's okay. <laughs> of all the sexually transmitted diseases, yours is the easiest you only to have, cure. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, all right. All right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Point taken. So is the the way that. Uh, students are being trained for to become future designers different today than it was when you all went to school? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How's it different, Dave? Well, uh, first of all, the, the technical requirements are, uh, are much more specific. I mean, you know, if you could draw, um, like when we went to school, it was, well, you were uh, fluent in either drawing in vellum or in canson. Those are your, those, that's your tool. <laughs> Markers and chalk, yeah. And now, right, right, like his chalk work is great. Now there's all these different softwares that you can use. It's all still the same. It's the same basic thing. But um, the toolkit now is friendlier to doing engineering than the toolkit was for us. But I yeah. would also it's argue... Friendlier. I didn't say it's, it's easy, but it's friendlier. But I would also <laughs> argue that in some ways it becomes more limiting than the traditional way that you and I learned, where you would just draw and sort of free flow. Today, when they're using the computer programs, they're, they're so concerned about how the computer program is going to give them this or that reflection or whatever, they lose, they lose sight of the big picture of doing this beautiful but but in the old car. in the old days there were some designers who still didn't get that feel and a lot of times it was the clay modeler that saved their butts the clay modeler saved everybody I've been that butts. guy uh, yes. well, <laughs> we've all really been there clay we've all been there yes. good clay modeler best king in the world absolutely make or break a design yes. so even though we've got all these great cad tools that can do everything and you know 3d simulation looks very realistic you, what you guys are saying is you still need somebody it scraping that clay Starts up yep. here. Well, plus, aren't there some pretty good sketch programs now too? Excellent sketch that are yeah. just sketch programs. Beautiful. It's about, sketch it's about starting with sketching so you can feel something. But you have to have the idea. That's the key: mm -hmm. is to have the original idea. It's like getting one of these programs that? that teaches how to write a novel. You know, how do you, yeah, I mean, how do you teach your students it, to get the idea? I can't teach them to be creative. I can't do that. But what I can do is to guide them and sort of help them along as they're designing their vehicles, their, their cars and trucks, to sort of think about the problem in terms of how can I solve the problem that the company is giving me, this assignment, this design brief, what can I do to just sort of solve that company's problems? So I'm there to sort of guide them along that path, yeah. but I can't, I, I can't teach creativity. That they either have that or they don't. And because everybody is online right now, in real time, you, you know what everyone is doing in Korea, in China, in Germany, in South America, in Australia, and the U.S. in real time. And the kids, I call them kids, are, are always aware of what's happening globally. I mean, instantly. So if someone is doing some cool sketches in Korea, these guys, it's like they're, it's on their computer, and they see it right away. We used to get car styling. We used to get car styling. Before that, Stile Auto. Yeah, oh, yes, no, no. yes. I, but, yeah. but the thing with, with, the, with that, isn't there a, there's the whole thing about parallel design, which somebody says it looks like a copy. I, I've never subscribed to that, but I can see where you could be influenced by a sketch or something you've seen, sure. because that whole thing about planting a seed, even in a very creative person. There are times that that germinates and you can end up with things that are far more similar than you would imagine them to be. Yeah. Creativity has to be fed. You have to... And nurture. You, know, you have to yeah. you go see movies, you read, you look at magazines. You, you know, and, the, and, and obviously uh, everything online makes that much easier, but you have to feed it 
and you have to work at it. You right. know, it's uh, right. I think the thing that separates out CCS and some of the other schools um, is just the amount of throughput that's being asked of them. Right, at, at a normal college, you know, uh, design program, you know, you kind of within a week or two, you do a few sketches, you get to the answer. Right. You know, at CCS, it's you know, 40 sketches by Thursday. It's like boot camp. And it's Tuesday. It's like boot camp, <laughs> yeah. Right? It's that and you just, now? and you have to, you yeah. have to, yeah. you have to produce. And, you know, you will find, you will either find your creativity or it's not the right school for you. It's so competitive. So competitive. What, what you're saying is fascinating to me because in my, our, all of our lifetimes, if there was an American car, you knew it was an American. Absolutely. If it was a German car, you knew it was German. If it was French, French, and yeah. so on down the line. Yeah. Are we losing that? Is Are we just going to some sort of... I don't want to say homogenized because there are American cars and especially trucks that stand out. There are German cars that stand out as German cars. Mm. But is the industry going to some sort of global design? I would say yes because of what Dave pointed out earlier in that the majority of design students that are graduating today all know what's going on around the world, number one. Number two, as companies want to sell their, their vehicles globally, they don't want to do something that's, let's say, quirky in the French sense. So they want to do something that's going to be accepted everywhere around the world. That's and not so the sexual. I, I know. So the, so the students sort of get that, and they understand that, that there's a look. Whatever period you're working in, there's a look that's going to be successful. And everyone, the, the thing that has surprised me most about teaching is how uh, little risk many of the students want to take. They all want jobs. Believe me, they're spending a lot of money and a lot of time to, to get where they want to get. Mm. But a lot of them don't want to take those risks. And when you're a student, that's when you should be taking those risks. You raised something that, that actually says there's a super important part of any design operation that they have to have, which is something to make sure that their design DNA stays in there and doesn't get diluted by this. And I tell them, I say, th this is your last opportunity as a designer to do what you personally believe in. Because once you get a job, somebody else is going to be telling you how to do it and what to do. But the, the point, I'm thinking about the, the idea of brand, as a branding design. Sure. That that has to live somewhere where you keep it vital. Because if not, you'll slowly, over a very long period of time, totally wash it out of your organization. Yes. Yeah. Yet that has to live and, st and has to be kept fresh. Right. So how do you do that in this environment? Well, that, you know, if, if you go to any design studio around the world and just took a, you know, gathered up 10 designers, uh, you wouldn't be able to tell who was from where. I mean, it's, it, right. there are people from all over the globe right. in every studio now. It's, it's absolutely like that. And it's great. And you do get, you know, different points of view and, and, and real diversity that way. But um, somebody does have to be minding the store to say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm working on a Cadillac or I'm working on a Mercedes and it shall, it shall be a certain way. And, you know, that really is the, you know, does the design leadership have a very specific branded aesthetic point of view? Because that's, that's important. You see the ones that maybe don't and they get batted around by right. friends a little bit. Um, you see some where maybe it's over, uh, it's over prescribed and the vehicles look out of date. So where it's constraining a, them. Yeah, it's a, very, it's a very difficult dance to do, but that's, that's really, that's leadership's job. And that's, that's a good point. The students always have to have a point of view. I, I demand that they have a point of view. Otherwise, to your point, it's like, well, you don't, you don't know what you're doing and why you're doing it. I've seen a couple of interesting things happen uh, recently. Uh, General Motors restyled. It's, an up, it's a, a refresh. It's not a, a big redo of the Malibu. But the car has only been on the 
the, the street for 18 months, yeah. and they're doing a redo. Uh, Chrysler, same thing with the, the Jeep Grand Cherokee. It was in the market two and a half years, and they refreshed it. I mean, we all grew up when there was the annual styling change every but, single year. But it went away to where you had a change when they did a new car, and nothing was done in between. Right. And, and you know, uh, the rule of thumb in the industry now is you don't change anything for four years. Do, do you guys see more of these changes coming? More frequent changes? I guess I was surprised that they did the Malibu with what they did. I, I thought the, the one, the first one was okay. I mean, and that, the changes know, that, that they made to it. That's not a glowing endorsement. It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, I think you're going to be seeing uh, yes. some of that. Sometimes it's preemptive, like, mm, we're not really sure, so we kind of uh, have another one. Kind but of then you'd ask, things. well, then why'd you do it in the first place? Well, we've seen it with Ford. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ford has been doing relatively significant mid-cycle changes on some of their products. Yeah. The first-generation Fusion, three years into it, got new front sheet metal. I mean, it was it was a that was a fantastic upgrade. It was. it was it was yeah. yeah. And the same thing happened with the Edge. Yep. That mm -hmm. Ford now is taking this mid-cycle change, which previously the Japanese have done all along. It was a mid-cycle change was refreshing plastic parts because they were basically doing yeah. shorter cycle tooling. Sure. But now Ford is doing where they're doing some tin and they're doing they're far more aggressive about it. But, so, but, but we're really just talking about North America here. I mean, out in Asia, especially in China, it's expected every couple of years something to have a refresh like that. So, yeah, something's got to happen. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, you know, it's 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 like it used to be here. You know, where uh, just the glamour of owning a car is a big deal, and people are excited about it. And so you want you the know, newest one. Yeah, you got to have the newest one. And you want to make sure your neighbor knows that it's the newest one. Yeah. My Civic has you know slightly sneakier headlights. Oh. I gotta have that. He has the new one. Yeah. I've got the iPhone 4, not, not yeah. the 3. Yeah, except they all look the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I see changes coming, and, and part of it is being enabled by new tooling techniques. You know, one of the reasons why it was back in the 50s and 60s, every single year, and then it went to every four years, was the tooling became so expensive, you had to sell so many to pay off the tooling. But part of it was they went to unit bodies. That was part and, of it. And, you you know, to re-engineer a recorder panel on a unibody car, the way they used to do a car that had a separate frame under it, right. you could have any, any shape right. you wanted. I mean, it didn't make any difference. But to re-engineer that quarter panel that's dressed was a big deal. Yeah, very well, big deal. Look, we're going to have to continue this conversation some other point. We'll, we'll talk about these more frequent changes because we're running out of time here. But okay. I really want to thank Jim Hall, John Manoogie, and Dave Lyon. Thank Great you. discussion on, on design and and styling. We were just scratching Both. the surface. <laughs> yeah, we just scratched the surface. I want to thank all of you for having tuned in, and please join us again next week for AutoLine This Week. AutoLine This Week is underwritten in part by and endurance. We're here to see which hybrid has the best MPG. That's the essence of a hybrid soul. But is there more to it? The Hybrid Game MPG Challenge.